This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And those men in the book of Esther, they see the face, they saw the face of King Ahasuerus with an expectation to receive orders from King Ahasuerus. And those angels in verse 10, they see the face of the Father with an expectation to receive orders from the Father. And we see the face of Jesus Christ in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 with an expectation to receive orders from Jesus Christ. There's this look with a readiness to serve and that's really what's brought out for us in Psalm 123, too. Psalm 123, too. Psalm 123, too. It says, Behold, as the eyes of a servant look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God. And it's interesting that the first words of Paul when he meets Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus he doesn't say, oh, I receive you as Savior, I accept you as Christ. He says in Acts 9, 6, Acts 9, 6, it says, he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? It's the eyes. And so Jesus now tells what the Father wants done in verse 11, verse 11, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. See, this is the Father's will is that the lost should be saved. And what those angels are reading on the face of the Father is that the lost children should be saved. The angels read this from the face of the Father because when someone is saved, the face of the Father lights up with joy. When someone is lost, the face of the Father frowns in sadness. When someone blocks another from, through an offense of coming to Christ, the face of the Father shows anger, and they learn how to read that. And those are the expressions that the angels reading are reading on the face of the Father, joy, sorrow, anger, and it tells those angels by those expressions what the will of the Father is for the lost. So the Father's will is not just that some of the lost, not just that the group called the elect, not just the group called the predestinated, not just the group called the chosen should be saved. The Father's will is that all should be saved 
and none should perish from 1 Timothy 2, 3. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and become the knowledge of the truth. And 2 Peter 3, 9, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And this is the reason the little ones are not to be despised in verse 10. It's because Christ came to save them. And that's the reason that no one should offend these little ones, these little, the Greek word there, skandalon, it also can mean a stumbling block. Don't press, don't put stuff in their path that they're going to trip up on and turn away from God. The Lord, according to verse 11, is trying to save those little ones. And if anyone puts a stumbling block in the way of those, there's children, the Lord says, it's better you weren't born because they're working directly against Christ. So the idea that no one should do anything to those little children is they're making their way slowly to God, why the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 19, 14, Matthew 19, 14, Jesus said, suffer little children, forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, don't do anything to cause those little children to stumble as in their little lives they make their way toward God. Encourage them. It's why child evangelism fellowship is so important. It's why the work of Ruthie and Claudia in Brazil is so important. We should get behind them. We should give to them. We should pray for them. We should encourage them. So the whole concept of the father spending time with those who have his interest, which are focused on the same thing he's focused on, means that if we make in our lives the same focus as the father's, the same focus as Christ's interest, we're going to be spending a lot of time with the father. We're going to be in his presence because spend time with those who on the same page as him have same interest. Now, speaking about what the Father and Christ are focused on, speaking about what their interests are, he says this in verse 11, the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. I mean, he's been talking about, he's talking about heaven, telling us things we didn't know about in heaven, he's talking about angels for little children, and they're always beholding the face of the Father. We didn't know that. And so with this in mind, he now says these words in verse 11, the son of man is come. Naturally, you say, come from where? Come, where did he come from? He's come. He's saying he came from heaven. And because, and he came from heaven, he's emphasizing this. And the question becomes, why did he come from heaven? Why did he come from heaven? Not what was he going to do? Why did he come from heaven? And he came because he was sent. He was sent. And the book of John really hammers down on this point. He was sent, he was sent, he was sent. John 5, he, Christ, in the book of John, he speaks about himself in John 5, 23. John 5, 23, the Father which has sent me. John 5, 30, the Father which has sent me. John 5, 36, the Father hath sent me. 5, 37, the Father himself which hath sent me. 5, 39, John 5, 39, this is the Father's will which has sent me. John 6, 44, the Father which has sent me. 6, 57, the living Father has sent me. 8, 16, the Father sent me. 8, 18, the Father that sent me bears witness of me. 8, 29, he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. It goes on and on. 8, 42, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. 10, 36, the Father is sanctified and sent me into the world. John 12, 49, the Father sent me. I've not spoken of myself. John 14, 24, the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. Keeps coming back to this authority. I have the authority because I've been sent. John 7, 17, 21, the Father that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. That was important. 
John 17, 25, righteous father, these have not known that thou hast sent me. These have known that thou hast sent me. John 20, 21, the father has sent me, and so I send I you. And finally, 1 John 4, 14, where John just says, we've seen and do testify that the father sent the son. You can see here that Jesus is consumed with the fact that he was sent by God the father into the world. And that's the prominent meaning behind the word Messiah or Christ. It means sent to call Jesus the Christ, or to call Jesus Christ, or the Messiah, means to call Jesus the one who was sent by God the Father. And that's why behind the Lord's statement, the Son of Man is come, we can see him very happy as he says that, to wear the title Messiah. Because that's the title that says, I'm sent. And that's why he's not just Jesus, but he's Jesus Christ, he's Jesus the sent one. The Christ is his name, and it's a statement that Jesus came from heaven, that he was sent from heaven by the Father. So what was he sent to do? That's verse 11. Verse 11, he's come to save that which was lost. It's really the message of John 3.16. Message of John 3.16, you know, we say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only bit. We could plug in the word sent very well in John 3.16. John 3.16, it could very well read, that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. So now we come to verse 12, verse 12, and we can see him now in verse 12, we kind of picture him in our mind, and he's kind of looking into the eyes of the people hearing him, and he wants to engage their conversation, engage their thinking. He wants them to, he's trying to draw them in. So rather than just lecture, 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 like I do, but anyway, rather than do that, he says, what do you think? It's a very good question. How, what do you think? I don't want to ask that because we really have so much time. In it. But anyway, he does that. He says, how think he? And then he asks this question. If a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, does he not leave the 99 and go within to the mountains and seek at that which is gone astray? So he's got this engaging, he's trying to say, think. You know, he's saying, think. He says, how think he? You might as well say, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And his question that goes about a sheep that's gone astray, a sheep's gotten lost is a terrifying word, especially if you're the lost one. It's a terrifying word in verse 12. If a man have a hundred sheep, one of them be gone astray. So last Thursday, the water was warm in Loretto. It was 81 degrees, Sea of Cortez. So I decided to go with a group of um, three others and a guide in the scuba dive. Sea Cortez is very interesting for scuba diving because it's this huge mountain range. When, you, know, you look at it, so that's just water. But underneath, they have some valleys that go down almost 10,000 feet. The average depth in Sea Cortez is 2,500 feet. So on this day, on, on Thursday, our, our dive goal was to dive at 70 feet around one island. And we were to stay together as a group. And each one of us had a partner. And we were not to go below 70 feet as we moved along this little island that had huge boulders. It was a big cliff of huge boulders, and uh, we were looking at the sea life. And we were told, too, that around this island of Danzante, there are very significant currents, very strong currents, and that we were to stay close to the boulders to be protected from these currents, and that way we wouldn't exhaust ourselves trying to fight against the currents, but stay close to the boulders. Well, I got down there, it was so captivating just to be there. I mean, it is all silent and quiet and it's warm, like being wrapped in a blanket and beautiful sights of these fish and sea urchins and starfish. And, and I was just kind of lost a little bit. 
in wonder. And then there was this one little fish, wasn't big, but he was all purple and he caught my attention. And I started just to kind of daydream and imagine, I wonder what that fish is seeing. And I wonder what he's thinking. And I wonder what his challenges are. And I don't think he cares anything about the war in the Middle East or North Korea getting nuclear weapons or the, the infrastructure bill. So I just kind of started to think, you know, I think I'm going to just try to see what that fish sees and get challenged with what he's concerned about. And for that moment, I just wanted to become that little purple fish. So I decided to follow that fish and I was videotaping him as I was going along. And I swam along the boulders following that fish and just trying to imagine, you know, what's he thinking and, you know, what's he's afraid of and what's he interested in. And it's a very different world. I mean, it's the world of a little purple fish. See, a Cortez. And so, you know, I was kind of lost there and and then all of a sudden I kind of woke, kind of said, you know, I don't think it's a good idea to keep doing this fish dreaming here. So I better check where the group is. So I lifted up my eyes and the group was gone and it was not there. Then I, I looked this way and that way and I started swimming around. I, I, said, I said, well, you know, I got to find the group, you know, so, okay, I'll push off from the boulders here. And there was a current, you know, and there, but there was a large clearing and so I could get a better look and there were no divers and there were no bubbles and the group was gone. And I tell you, I had a sinking feeling at that time because I realized I was lost and I had become, verse 12, one of them be gone astray. And I got scared. Meanwhile, my partner, we were supposed to stay in contact with each other, but he didn't know that I made a new partner in this little purple fish. So anyway, my partner, he realized that I was lost. And so he grabbed the fin of the guide and motioned to her, you know, we're three now, we're not four. You know, she organized everybody to stop and look for me. So she surfaced up to the surface and looked for my bubbles and there were no bubbles. And so she became concerned. She said well, she was really concerned. Obviously I made it because I'm standing here right now, you know, but at the time I asked her, I said, have you ever lost a person? She goes, no, or else I wouldn't be here. And she goes, anyways, after about five minutes of looking around, my air was, was running out. So I had to surface and then I surfaced, I looked all around and I saw way in the distance, the dive boat. So I was able to swim over to it. Meanwhile, the groups there also ran out. So they surfaced only they surfaced at the boat. And well, anyway, so when we all got in the boat, she was kind of like a white, she was pretty concerned, you know? And I said, I don't know what you were concerned about. I was down there, you know, somewhere. And she goes, oh yeah, in the ocean you were anyway. But everybody just kept looking at me and smiling, you know, say, you know, and saying, we're really glad to see you, you know? And, and uh, my partner says, I was really worried. So it was interesting because being lost and being found, there's some strong feelings that come. I mean, there's a feeling of fear. There's a feeling like, oh no, where am I? I'm lost, you know, or oh no, where is he? He's lost. And then there's the feeling of, we have to stop now and work. You know, we can't, the focus changes to a search. And then there's the relief of, okay, finally, you know, he's here, he's found. And then we all celebrated by eating burritos and apples and then tasted very good, but anyway. Well, those are the same feelings that the Lord, as Jesus is talking about when he says in verse 12, what do you think? How think ye if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray? Doesn't he leave the 90 and nine and go into the mountains and seeks the ones that have gone astray? That feeling, that feeling of fear, where is that one is no longer with us. You know, he must've gone astray. And then there's that feeling of, I gotta work now. I gotta forget about what I was gonna do. I gotta work now. My whole focus is gonna become to seek, as he says in Luke, seek and to save that which is lost. And so God has this feeling of fear. He knew that the one person had left the fold and he went astray and he became lost. And then there's that feeling of, I've got to do something to recover 
that lost one. And something that God became there for, he became the son of man, a man called Jesus, the son of man who could, in verse 11, verse 11, the son of man has come to save that which is lost. And then the feeling of joy, and that's what he's talking about in verse 13, and so be that if he find it, verily I said to him, he rejoiceth. He says he rejoices more over that one than the others didn't go astray. He's not saying to the others go astray, but he's saying, look, it's that feeling of fear, then the feeling of I've got to work, and then the feeling of rejoicing. It reminds me of the time when our boys were little, and uh, Cheryl and I and, and the boys were shopping at Walmart, and Joseph was only five years old at the time, and he got separated from us. He got down another aisle, and he started to cry, and Cheryl started to panic, and, you know, was running all over the store. And finally, we found him, and his first words were, you were lost. <laughs> it said. Anyways, when we realized that Joseph was gone, we swung into action. Oh, my wife was like, oh, man. She was like a she-bear robbed of her whelps. She was. So the Lord says in Ezekiel 34, 11, Ezekiel 34, 11, for thus saith the Lord God, behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. Ezekiel 34, 16, Ezekiel 34, 16, I will seek that which was lost and bring again that which was driven away and will bind up that which was broken and will strengthen that which was sick, but I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will feed them with judgment. Just like the hymn, the 90 and 9, so beautiful. It says, there were 90 and 9 that safely lay in the shelter of the fold, but one was out on the hills away, far from the gates of gold, away on the mountains, wild and bare, away from the tender shepherd's care. Lord, thou hast here thy 90 and 9. Are they not enough for thee? But the shepherd made answer, this is mine, has wandered away from me. And although the road be rough and steep, I go to the desert to find my sheep. But none of the ransom ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how deep was the night that the Lord passed through ere he found the sheep that was lost. Far out in the desert he heard its cry, twas sick and helpless and ready to die. Now, when we look at verse 13, there is one word that's haunting. There's a haunting word in this verse and verse 13, and it causes a deep sinking feeling in the gut and it's a one little word, and only has two letters in it. It's two letters, and it's the basis for worry. And the word is if, in verse 13. And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more. See, the word if, in verse 13, is haunting because it means that just because the search is made, it doesn't mean the lost will be found. The word if, in verse 13, is haunting because it means that just because the group of scuba divers was looking for one diver who was lost doesn't mean he would be found. The word if in verse 13 is haunting because it means that just because Jesus Christ comes to save that which is lost, it doesn't mean that the lost is going to be saved. The word if in verse 13 is haunting because it means that the gospel is still whosoever will gospel of John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. It's still up to the person to decide if he's going to come to Christ or not. The word if is haunting in verse 13 because it means that just because God sent his son to save the lost from perishing in hell, that doesn't mean that the lost are going to be saved from hell. The word if in verse 13 is haunting because it means that it's up to the lost as to whether or not they're going to be saved or they'll agree to be saved. It's haunting versus if because the scuba divers could spend all their day looking for a lost scuba diver 
and he might have been carried off in the current of the Sea of Cortez and never be found. They might have come up and says, we can't find him. And that's what makes the word if in verse 13 so haunting because there's no guarantee that anyone's going to be saved. The word if in verse 13 is haunting because it means that we don't live in a world where everyone will live happily ever after. It's a haunting word, if, in verse 13, because it means that there are many people, like the psychologist named Barbara that I met yesterday, who talked yesterday. She strongly disagreed. She strongly disagreed with me, warning anyone that there is a hell after life that needs to be saved from. Instead, she tells everyone that they're really all very good people and they must all learn to love themselves and just ignore those feelings of guilt that make them feel terrible. And when that Barbara yesterday wanted to know the reaction of the Jewish people to what I told them about Jesus Christ, I told her, I said, most of the Jewish people are not receptive at all to the person of Jesus Christ. And when I told her, she looked at me with an expression of, so if they don't want to hear it and they don't want to respond, why do you do it? The Lord Jesus Christ came to save the world from hell. He came to save the world from hell and destruction. He also knew how he would do in his goal of saving the world. When he said in Matthew 7, 13, Matthew 7, 13, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Destruction, many there be. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way, leadeth to life, leads to life. Few there be that find it. The word if in verse 13 is haunting because it means that Jesus Christ came to earth to save all men from hell and destruction, and he knew from Matthew 7, 13, that many would be going to destruction and few would be going to life. That's what makes the word if in verse 13 so haunting because it's similar to what a scuba diver not being found. And it's, the word if is so haunting because no one could be better at saving the lost than Jesus Christ, and yet not everyone is saved. And so Jesus Christ comes to the world to save all the world from hell. Jesus Christ knows when he comes to earth that he's going to fail to save all the world from hell. And so the question is, if he knew that he's going to fail to save everyone, if he knew that even though he would give it his best, which he did, and then at the end, the vast majority would be saved from hell, why bother? Why did he bother? Why did Jesus Christ still come to earth? And the answer to that question comes from one single word, in verse 14, one single three-letter word in verse 14. Even so, it's not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. That single three-letter word in verse 14 that explains why Jesus Christ came to the world when most of the world would not be saved is the word, the one. It's one. Even so, it's not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of those little ones should perish. If there was only one who would be saved, he would have come. He would have come. It's not the will of your Father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. It's not the will of God that one, just one of those little ones should perish. It's not the will of God that anyone should perish, not just the little ones, anyone. 2 Peter 3, 9, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's just who Jesus Christ is. It didn't come with numbers. How did you do? He came to save all, but he still would come if only one was saved. Why? Because of verse 14. It's not the will of your Father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for 
caring, Lord, about each one. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.